Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. We're going to go to John chapter 9. Time has gotten away from us a little bit this morning, but this week as I've been praying about what God would have me to speak, as I was going through our prayer list, as I was going through just the, the heart of the church, he directed my path to, to John chapter 9, and uh, we're going to preach through 1 through 33. And now when I say that, some of you are like, whoa, that's a lot of verses. Uh, I'm not going to preach the whole thing. We're going to look at a couple of the verses. I'm going to give you a synopsis. We're really going to look at verse 25 here in just a minute, but we're going to stand and read 1 through 8, and then we'll read a couple more there at the end of the chapter. So if you have your places there in John chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, And as Jesus came to pass by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of spittle and appointed the eyes of the man with clay. Then he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Shalom, which is to be interpreted sent. And he went thereof, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which were before him had seen him that he was blind, said, Is this he that sat and begged? We're going to go down to verse 24 and read a couple of verses. And it says this, Then again called they the man that was blind, and he said to them, Give God the praise. We know that this man was a sinner, is a sinner. And the blind man answered and said to them, Whether he be a sinner or not, I know not. This one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then he said unto them again, What did he to thee, how he opened thine eyes? Let us pray. Father, I pray that you'll be with this scripture as we've read it. I pray that you'll help me this morning as I preach this topic that you've given me. I pray that you'll help us to open our eyes to what you would have us to see this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Your notes are provided for you in the bulletin. I won't be long this morning, but as I begin to look through, I said, our prayer list and the things that are going on in the church, I began to sort of see a common theme. And that theme was suffering. And so I began to look at some of these thoughts and through chapter 9, um, long before COVID-19 ever hit, long before we were in a pandemic the Bible teaches us a couple of things that are insert, that are that life is uncertain. That's why in the Bible, the Bible says that live by faith and not by sight. Because our sight will fail us. But when we live by faith, that is what's going to hold us. As the song said, my anchor holds because of the faith, not because of our sight. Begin looking through as well. And I saw in Proverbs chapter 27 where it says, boast not of yourself of tomorrow for you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And I wrote down, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't rob your blessings today by worrying about tomorrow's burdens. 
we understand the importance of taking one day at a time. As I talked about earlier with, this, with William Ramsey and, and that family, he had said the night before his birthday, he told his parents, tomorrow will be my last day on earth. A seven-year-old boy. And his parents saw that and heard that, and I'm sure they shrugged it off. But that was what he was doing. He wasn't boasting of tomorrow. He was living that life that day at a time. The Bible says in Psalms to teach us not to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. As believers, we are blessed and we have been blessed and there are uncertainties in life. Some absolutes, some truths that will never change. We can anchor in these things to maintain spiritual stability in a crazy world. The summary of this chapter, it talks about a blind man who was blind from birth. He was suffering his entire life. I got to thinking to myself, what would be worse, to be blind from birth or to have sight and be blind? It's a hard thought. To be able to see and then all of a sudden not be able to see or to just never be able to see at all. Either one of them would be a tough thing, but this man was blind from birth. The second thing I saw as we begin to summarize this is there was criticisms that he faced. There were Pharisees that came into him and began to criticize him and began to berate him and went to his family. The third thing is there was a miracle that takes place that proclaims freedom to him. And so I'm going to go through my notes pretty quickly. and I'm going to wrap it up at the very last point and give us some applicable statements but I wrote down this, four things that I know in uncertain times. Titled it, this one thing I know, and there's four things that I do know in uncertain times from this passage of scripture. The first is this in your notes, suffering is guaranteed in this life for Christians. Verses one through six very clearly talks about how this man suffered. He was a beggar. He did not have a job. He could not do anything. And that suffering was guaranteed. There are many things throughout the Bible that talks about men and women that have suffered. We look at Jonah, how he ran from God and suffered. We, looked at, we look at Ruth and Esther and Esther, how she was an Israelite and how she was a Jewish person and yet she suffered. We look at Noah and how he suffered persecution. Every story in the Bible that we are taught as young people, there's suffering involved. And we must understand that there are suffering that are going to happen in our life. I wrote down just a couple here. Physical suffering. We've all hurt ourselves at some point or another. Maybe a broken bone. I've never broken a bone in my body. I'm lucky for that. But when I was playing football, I almost tore my Achilles tendon. And I remember for three or four weeks, I had to wear a boot around my leg. Because there was some physical pain there. I couldn't put pressure on it. So we can look at physical suffering and we can see and we can relate to that. There's also spiritual suffering. Nick talked about bitterness. Being bitter or better. When my mom and dad went through a divorce years ago when I was in going into my 11th grade year. I was suffering bitterness. And that bitterness emotionally and spiritually destroyed me. I was bitter towards my mom. And that caused this 
emotional pain, this spiritual pain for about a year and a half of my life. So there is suffering that we're going to go through. And I ask myself this question, why do we suffer? Man, why do we go through this suffering? And the easy answer is there's sin. And that is an easy answer, but I begin to write down, sometimes we suffer because of our personal sin. Sometimes I do something wrong in life. As a kid, I did things that were wrong. And because I did things that were wrong, there was a personal suffering that was upon me by a belt or a paddle or a shoe or whatever my mom could find. Okay, there was a suffering that was immediate there. And in our life, a personal sin can allow us to cause suffering in our life that way. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we're going through something, is there something personally in my life right now that is causing this suffering to happen? And if the answer is no, which sometimes it is, we go to the second point in your notes is this. Sometimes suffering is allowed by God. This man, the first question that they came and asked him, this man, he's blind and his disciples said, is he blind because of his parents' sin or his sin? And Jesus' answer was, there's no sin that's involved here. He's going through this suffering because it's to give God the glory. Jesus answered and said, verse 3, neither has this man sinned or his parents had sinned, but that the work of God should be manifest in him. So if we're going through suffering, we have to say, if it's not because of our personal sin, maybe it's because God wants to get the glory through us. Maybe because God wants us to go through that so that in turn, he can get the ultimate glory. Verse one through three, I said this, in either case, we should never speculate as to why others are suffering, but realize that God's glory should be manifest in both. Whether it's a personal sin and you've come through that, God gets the glory. Whether it's because you're going through something because God has ordained it, in the end, God gets the glory. And so no matter what, we should see that God gets the glory. I wrote this in your notes, two ways to deal with suffering. And this is sort of me personally here as, as I, I'm talking about me looking back in my life. How have you dealt with suffering? The first is this. We must learn to accept our sufferings. We must learn to accept them. There are times where we're going to go through things and in the moment we can't accept it. When I lost my grandpa, when I was in college and I wasn't able to make it back to his funeral, I had to accept that that was happening and I had to go forward. And that's a really hard thing to do. But in our life, when we go through suffering, we must accept the suffering. And the second thing is we must learn to seek God during these times of suffering, not just for relief. So a lot of times we, we look at God and, and when we go through sufferings, we want to run to him, which is a good thing to do. And we should do it, but we shouldn't just go to him looking for relief. God, help me in this moment. Help me because I don't want to go through the pain. If Esther would have said to God, I don't want to go through the pain of potentially dying, then the king at that time would have killed the Jewish nation. But she said, whether I live or whether I die, I'm going to go for God. And so when we ask ourselves this question, I'm suffering, we must go to God and we must go to him saying, God, I'm going to give you the glory no matter what. We tend to gravitate towards the victories of these stories. We look at Esther and we see the victory. We look at Jonah and we look at the entire nation of 
Nineveh turned to God. We look at Jesus and he went through suffering, but yet he rose from the dead. And we talk about the victories. And the victories are a great thing. Just got done watching the documentary of Michael Jordan on, on Netflix in my spare time. Um, and, and I began looking at his awesome life as a leader, as a, as a game changer, you could say that, in the NBA. And through all those interviews and through everything that was going on, one thing kept saying the same. He said, through the suffering, it drove me to be a better athlete. My dad died, and it drove me to win another championship. So-and-so got hurt, it drove me to win another thing. So-and-so challenged me, and a newspaper article came out and said, you're not going to do this. And he said, I went to the news reporter and said, I've taken you out. I've taken you out. He said, that was his driving force. And so I began to read that, I began looking at that, I began looking at ourselves and how we began to almost ignore the beauty of suffering in our life. Because through the suffering, God brings those victories. Through those suffering, God is able to allow us to grow. I want to quickly look over at 1 Peter chapter 5. It's the only passage we flip over to. You don't have to turn there, you can just listen. But 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 10 and 11 says this. It says, but the God of all grace who hath called us to the eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye had suffered a while. So Peter is telling us, hey, God's glory is on your life. His grace is on your life. And after you've suffered a little while, he's going to make you perfect. He's going to establish your ways. He's going to strengthen you and he's going to settle you for this reason to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. After suffering brings four things. This isn't in your notes. This is what I got a little bit later. After suffering, it brings restoration. After suffering, it brings support. After suffering, it brings strength. And eventually, it strengthens us. And we go through these times as young people, as young Christians, as older Christians, because God wants us to trust in him. He brings us back to him because he was also the one that was known as the man of sorrow. And if we're going to be Christians, which is Christ-like, there's going to be suffering applied to that. If he was the man that was known of sorrow and greatly sorrows that he had, where he sweat blood drops of tears, and we want to be like Christ, we can't say, well, I don't want that, because that's part of what Christ is. And so the first thing is suffering is guaranteed. The second thing, and this is a really hard point, God chooses who he wants to heal and in his time. God chooses who he wants to heal and in his time. Sometimes he chooses to heal and sometimes he makes us wait until his plan is fully revealed. And that is extremely hard for us because we want instantaneous results. We cannot speculate on why God heals others rather than some. We have to say that whatever happens, ultimately God's glory is going to be revealed. I remember thinking back, and I mentioned earlier with my grandfather, who I was really close to, who we were, I was born on his birthday. Every birthday, I spent my birthday with him. Uh, I, I named my son after him. Marshall was my grandpa's middle name. It's also my dad's middle name. And so he's extremely close to me. And He's the first, Brody is the first safe grandchild born on my dad's side of the family. He's the first male safe born. And so 
I just wanted to sort of give some reverence to him, some memory to him. And as I began thinking of that, I remember seeing my grandpa in December, and he was awake. He just had surgery, and we had talked, and we had had a good time like we normally do, and it was around our birthday, and I was home for college, and I'd left to go home from college, and he had had surgery again because the first surgery wasn't right, and he never woke up. And I remember the day that my dad called me on the phone, and I can count about three times on my life of 31 years that my dad has cried, and I remember my dad calling me, and I heard him say, through tears, Grandpa's gone. I was walking, I, I'm, I, I can take the teenagers this week to the exact point where that was at when I was in college and I was walking up the stairwell to the third floor of the college to go to a meeting and I got that phone call and I just sort of broke down in tears. And Brother Eric, the pastor that's going to preach the last night, came up right behind me and grabbed me and said, hey, what's going on? I told him my grandpa just died and he hugged me real close and said, man, I love you and I'm going to pray for you and we prayed and it was tough. And I began asking myself, why did you not heal my grandpa? Why couldn't I go and see him? Why couldn't I go and spend another birthday with him? But that's not for me to decide. That's for God to decide. And it's really hard for us to understand that. And we can't speculate on those things. And I wrote this down. Biblical patience. I think it's in your notes. Biblical patience is more than just waiting on God. A lot of times we ask ourselves and we say to ourselves, well, if you're just patient, you'll be okay. And that is true. We must be patient. But there's more that is involved than just patience. It's learning to wait without complaint. How many of you have been to a doctor before? Raise your hand. So everyone in here has been to the doctor's office. That's good. You've all had to sit in a waiting room, correct? They call it a waiting room, but it's more like an endurance room. It's how long you can actually wait before you go irate and you start yelling at someone. Because, you know, the, the thing that I love is when I go into a waiting room and I'm there when my appointment is supposed to be. And I sit down and I'm waiting 10 minutes or so. Not that bad. 15 minutes. Okay, I'm starting to get a little, little irritated. And then someone comes in and they check in and they come and sit down for like one minute and they call and call and they come out and call their name. I'm like, whoa, I've been waiting this person didn't wait at all. Okay, there's a difference between waiting and waiting without complaint. And that's what God wants us to do. He says, when you begin to wait, it's not complaining. Well, God, I've waited for three years. When are you ever going to do this? But it's waiting without complaint or discontentment with what's going on in our life. Because waiting and patience is a, is a very important thing. And then this one. Waiting without complaint or discontent, which places the emphasis on one simple word, our attitude. When we're waiting, when we are patient with God, how is our attitude? Are we asking God out of discontent? We're waiting, God. I need you to answer me. Or are we waiting with a reverent attitude towards God? So God chooses who? He wants to heal, and in his time, that's verses 7 through 12. The first one was verses 1 through 6. This third point, we'll be wrapping it up very quickly here. There will always be criticism from someone when God works. There will always be criticism from someone when God works. Verses 13 through 23, the, de 
the Pharisees came to this man and began to ask him and criticize him. They even went to his mom and dad in this verse here. You can read it uh, in verse 20, 21, 19. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son whom was born blind? And how is that he now sees? And his parents answering them, saying, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but what does it mean that he seeth? Only he knows. And who opened him? Because they didn't answer him because they were afraid of being excommunicated from the church. That's just a summary of what it says. But they were afraid to be kicked out of the synagogue, to kicked out of the church. So criticism is going to come. When things are good, negative people will always come into your life. It's like negative people are always attracted to positive things. I think we learned that in science, right? My wife likes science. I think negative and positive always attracts each other, right? Is that what works in science? You got a negative magnet and you've got a positive magnet. They always come together because it's the same way in life. When things are going well in your life, someone negative is going to be attracted to you and they're going to pour their negative ions, if you know science at all, they're going to pour that into you because they're going to try to overtake you. They're going to try to take your joy away. The Pharisees did that. They came to this man. They began asking him. They even went to him a second time and asked him again. Through all of this, this was the part that really got me when I was studying this chapter. Through everything that was going on, through the man that, that, that came to Jesus and Jesus spit on the ground, took mud from the ground, which is disgusting as it is. Okay, my son and daughter, they can be disgusting when mud comes and they'll come in with mud all over them after it rains. Okay, but imagine someone spitting on the ground, making mud and taking that mud and sort of making a mud ball and throwing it at you. And you saw what happened. Well, that, that, that's pretty disgusting. And through all of that, through, through the miracle that Jesus did, through the, the man receiving sight, all of that, no one else ever in this passage from verses 1 through 33 ever rejoiced with this man and gave God the glory for what was going on. Not once. No one made a parade and said, man, this guy who was once blind is now seeing. Let's make an awesome ordeal. No one did it. No one rejoiced and yet with this same man, he rejoiced in and of himself because of his response later. I wrote this down because it's important for us. Religion requires confirmation. I don't think it's in your notes, it's in my notes. Religion requires confirmation. That's that sight. Sight requires confirmation. When you do something, you want to get that trophy, you want to get that confirmation. While faith learns to trust what it cannot see. Religion requires the confirmation, but faith learns to trust in what it cannot see. A lack of faith can cause you to miss the blessings that God has for you. Sometimes even those close to us will not understand what is going on. The blind man's parents, probably the closest people that he had, because he would have had no structure in life that would have allowed him to have friends he was a beggar he did not have someone he would go to he didn't have a place to live he was on the street but he still had his mom and dad and his mom and dad still didn't understand because they also wouldn't give an answer they said go to him yourself let him give an answer and those people that are closest to us will not understand what god is doing in your life and the decisions that you are making and I wrote this down in my notes for me personally. Stop 
looking for man's approval. What we're doing as young people and as Christians and as adults does not need man's approval. What it needs is God's stamp of approval. It needs God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Last time I checked, that verse does not say the Pharisees came to them and said, well done, you did good. It said that God is going to tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So there's always going to be criticism. And this last one is where we'll wrap it up is no one is ever the same after being touched by Jesus. As our musicians come and play, we'll go into our invitation in just a second. No one is ever the same after being touched by Jesus. Verse 24 and 25, we'll read these couple of verses again. It says, and then he called this man that was blind and said to him, give us praise. Give God the praise. We know not this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know this one thing that once I was blind, but now I see. Jesus had touched this man. And his life was radically changed. He said, I was once blind and I have done a 180 and now I see. And in our life, when Jesus touches us, spiritually, we go from being blind to now being able to see. And spiritually, we must take that and apply it to our life. And the three changes that I see here, the applications in the very last couple of verses, we'll read through them. There's three changes that have happened to this man because of the suffering that he went through. So musicians, you can start playing, but this is what it says in verse 27. He answered them, I have told you already and you did not hear. Whether you would hear it again, would you be his disciples? And so all of a sudden, this man who was skittish at first, who was blind, who had no social status, is talking to the most powerful men in that day. Outside of the government, the, Pharaoh, the Pharisees were the most powerful men. They had their own police force. They had everything. And he's looking at them and he says this statement, I've already told you once, if I told you again, would you turn to be his disciple? All of a sudden, there's this boldness that comes about him. And he's willing to take a stand. Are we willing to take a stand for Jesus are we as Sulphur Springs Baptist Church willing to stand up and say you know what God's done something great in my life I've went through some things but yet God has been stayed faithful I've went through problems I've went through struggling but yet God has been here and he's in my life today or do we just bow to the culture hey don't you go through well I mean yeah I go every once in a while where's our boldness at When's the last time we took a stand for the one who took the ultimate stand for us? He wasn't ashamed of me when he was on the cross. He said, I took it with glory. I laid down my own life for you. I laid down and no man's going to take my life from me is what Jesus said. And he put his hand down and they beat the nail into his hand. And he stretched out his other hand and no one was going to take the life of Jesus without him giving it up. He was bold for me. When's the last time we were bold for him? As this man continues on and he's went through suffering his whole life, verses 30 through 32 says this, the man that answered him and said to them, why 
Herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence you have and how he opened my eyes. Now we have known from God wherein not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doth his will, him he heareth. He went from a change of boldness to now there is a change in his faith. Are you now willing to worship God? When your boldness is changed, your faith all of a sudden begins to rise up as well. Your worship changes. Your worship begins to call out to God. I loved how he said now in verse 31, Now if we know that God herein is not a sinner, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, he's going to hear them. Where's our boldness? Where's our faith? And the last thing, there's a change in understanding. In verse 33, he said this, if any man, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. He said, if this man was not from God, he would have been able to do nothing. He wouldn't be able to hear my, he wouldn't be able to hear my sight. He wouldn't be able to do anything. And what I see by this is that he was now willing to give God the glory. When's the last time we looked at something and said, you know what, this has only happened because of God and I'm going to give him all and only the glory that happens. That's what the change that happens in our life. We go from boldness to faith to understanding. And we have to examine our life, church, and we have to say, is this the changes that is happening? Are we bold because God has redeemed us? Is our faith strong that we're worshiping in him? And do we understand the power and the glory that God has? Because when we understand that, it changes the way we think. No one was ever the same after Jesus touches them. I was not the same after Jesus touched me when I was five years old. My life was radically changed as even a five-year-old boy. When Jesus came and spoke to me again when I was a senior, going into my senior year of high school, and he called me to preach... And he spoke to me again that day. My life was changed because I surrendered to what he wanted me to do. And so we have to ask ourselves today, are we fully surrendering to what God has called us to do? Are we fully surrendering and saying, God, I want to do your will. I want to be bold for you. I want a better understanding. Or as Nick said, and he preached a great message, if it, you want to call it a message, are we just coming to fill a pew for one hour on Sunday and Wednesday? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Father, pray that you'll help us this morning. Help us to take these thoughts that you've given me that have changed my life dramatically this week. Reminded me again that you didn't just come to be killed. You came to lay your life down for us. And God, I just want to pray that you'll get the honor and glory for what's happened today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.